Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Exodus today. Come on. We are out of Genesis and we are in Exodus 1. I'm very excited about that because now we're now we're going to start getting some of the the history history of the children of Israel, some of the craziness that that they deal with, um, and some of the things they put them themselves through. Matter of fact, a lot of the things that they put themselves through. So um again, Exodus 1 um this morning, and I'm going to begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this morning, Lord God. We just praise you for, for waking us up today, Lord God, and, and getting us ready, Father, just to dig into your word, Lord God, so that we can learn more about you and get closer to you, Father. I pray that during this brief time that we have together, Lord God, that it be your words that are heard and not mine, Father, that I would fade to the background, Lord God, and, and we would just hear you, Lord God, Father. I pray you would just reveal new things, new truths, um, so that we can apply to our lives. Father, we praise you and we worship you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So Exodus 1, and I am reading from the New King James Version. Now, these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field all their service in which they made them serve was with rigor then the king of egypt spoke to the hebrew mid midwives of whom the name of one, of one was sifra and the name of the other was pua and he said when you do the duties of a midwife for the hebrew women and see them in the in the on the birth stools if it is a son then you shall kill him but if it is a daughter then he she shall live but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. 
Therefore, God dealt with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because of, because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. Amen. Amen. Come on. Let's get a good stretch. So at the end of Genesis, we see the death of Jacob. We see the death of Joseph. Um, and um, there was a long time period between their two deaths. And the children of Israel continued to grow. Okay. They were living in the land of Gershon and they were just multiplying. You know, God gave Abraham a promise. Your, your children will, will be like the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky. So they, they, they were, they were multiplying. Right. So, so the, 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 these first verses of Exodus reach back some 430 years because the story of, of Exodus begins where the story of Genesis ends. Okay. So there's like a 430 year gap in between the stories because at this point, you know, um, this Pharaoh didn't know Joseph. You know, he didn't care about Joseph. He didn't care about none of them. He just knew that there was these foreign people in the land and, and he was afraid. So, you know, so this large family, this large family of Israel was in a, a crucial place in God's plan, you know, and, and, and even them migrating to Egypt, we've seen it was part of God's plan. See, the, the Hebrew title for the book of Exodus is taken from his first words, and, and, and these are the names of. In the original language, the first word of Exodus is and, making, its, making it uh, a continuity, all right, a continuation from the book of Genesis. And it goes over the names of, of people who came in, in, in verse 6, says, and Joseph died. Joseph, we know, is the great-grandson of Abraham, who saved Egypt and and essentially the known world at that time from terrible famine because he listened to God's voice speaking through Pharaoh in the dream. And because of his wisdom and administration, he was lifted to the high and honored place in Egypt. But again, he eventually died. And, and the status of the family that the, the, the family enjoyed when he was around died with him. You know, and it says, verse 7, the land was filled with them. Genesis 47, 27 says, and Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, and they had possession therein and grew and multiplied exceedingly, grew and multiplied exceedingly. See, they did indeed multiply over generations so that the land was filled with them. Okay. I don't know how big the land of Gershon was at that time, but, you know, it was a place where, you know, Egypt didn't really care about. So Israel filled it. And imagine this family started with five people back in Harem, Jacob, Rachel, Leah, Zelpha, and, Z and Bilha. five people. And blessed by God, this family of Israel grew rapidly in the years that they were in Egypt. So Pharaoh gets, he gets worried, right? Verse 9, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. So, so the, the, the Egyptian people, they were very 
um, famous or, or even even more infamous. And I talked about this last week for their 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 proud sense of racial superiority towards other people. Okay, they didn't like to intermingle too much. Now they would do business, they would trade, and and uh, and foreign people would live in Egypt, but you know they dealt they did deal you know very very shrewdly with them. So it isn't surprising to see them afraid and discriminating against this this strong minority group in their midst, which which looked like it wasn't going to be a minority very long. You know they were seeing the growth, they were seeing the multiplication. All right. And I'm sure this wasn't the first Pharaoh, you know, in the line of the 400 plus years that was a little bit concerned about the growth of the children of Israel, you know, because time causes people to forget, right? And, you know, the Pharaohs right after, right after, um, Joseph, they probably remember, they heard the stories, they read, the, they read and, you know, but as years go by, like all that stuff doesn't matter. So now we have a Pharaoh who's seeing what is a perceived threat. Israel wasn't coming against Egypt, but it was a perceived threat, right? How many of us have people who, who perceive you as a threat simply because of the stance that, you, that you've made for the body of Christ? You are a professing Christian, and you're proud of that. And just because you profess to be a Christian, they look at you as a threat. Because what you stand for goes against what they believe. And their belief is already on shaky ground. Right? Because whether you don't believe in God, you do believe in God, you have your own definition of God, you know, which or you're an atheist, which is a belief system of you, you know, believe it or not, you know, and you coming and saying, no, I believe in Jesus Christ. He is my savior. I believe that he died for me. You know, he rose again the third day and he's coming back to bring me and everyone like me up into heaven. And I want that for you too. That shakes up their belief system, right? that shakes up their belief system. So now they can't live the way they want to live. They can't do what they want to do, right? We live in a very hedonistic society where it's all about how I feel right now, what I want to do right now, you know? And here we come, the crazy Christians saying, no, this is wrong. Turn on the news. We see all the wrong that is happening. The things, the agendas are trying to be pushed on us. We my brothers and sisters are a threat. We are a threat to this society because we believe in a living God who is one day going to come and get and pass judgment on the world. Egypt, with their own religion, their own many gods and many all this stuff, perceived Israel as a threat. And Israel was just chilling in Gershon, right? Tending to their sheep, you know, people, you know, families are multiplying, getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, you know? And, and there was no intermingling, right? So Israel wouldn't have been a perceived threat if the Egyptians had been intermingling with the Israelites, right? If they had been intermingling with them, then I say, okay, well, that's the, those are my people, you know? 
And when you have a multi, you know, a multitude, and we learn that by the time of, they actually leave Israel, or excuse me, they, they leave Egypt, there's, you know, over 2 million Israelites, right? Men, women, children, everything. So imagine they had intermingled, right? There'd be some crazy, you know, Egyptian, Israelite, hybrid, you know, you know, race, and there would be no issues. But Egypt con continue, continually kept Israel at arm's length. So they grew scared, you know, and, and um, so and it says, he said, in the event of war, that they would join our enemies and fight against us. He even took it to that, to that point. Not just that they're, you know, they may overtake us, but no, they're going to join our enemies. You know, we all have enemies who speak against us and add stories, add nonsense, and 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 see that we are going to come against them. See, at the time, the Egyptians, you know, at the time, that they 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 feared um, an invasion from the Hittites and to the north, right? The Hittites were another uh, growing, powerful people, and Egypt feared the Hittites coming down so if if the hebrews with their millions of people then joined with the hittites it did pose a significant threat to their security but nowhere does it does it say here hey if our enemies come against us perhaps the children of israel would join us and help pharaoh didn't look at it like that he could he, he didn't see israel as an ally he immediately saw them as an enemy right his perception was all messed up so you know verse 11 they set taskmasters over them so they built for pharaoh supply cities when, when the israelites were set to slave labor they built many of the great cities and monuments in egypt though though not the pyramids because the pyramids had been built you know much much earlier than this than this um, time so since we don't um, know exactly when the forced labor began we don't know exactly how long it lasted um, some estimated the slavery lasted some 284 years some estimated 134 years the, the children of israel we know from a time uh Israel and his family entered Egypt at the time of the Exodus of around 430 years. That wasn't 430 years of slave labor, okay? That wasn't. So different theologians and experts estimate anywhere from 134 years to about 284 years of the slave labor. Regardless, it was a long time to be put in slavery, right? And they set taskmasters over them. And it says the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. This kind of uh, astonishes me because, you know, the children of Israel, you know, even though there were, there, were, there were slaves, they still had time to multiply. You know, I don't know where they got the energy for all that, but they still had time to multiply. But the thing is, this was a fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham way back when. This was God's purpose for Israel for their time in Egypt. This was the place where Israel could grow from a small clan into a mighty, mighty nation. And they couldn't have done this in Canaan. This wouldn't have happened in Canaan. It was practically impossible to avoid intermarriage with the pagan and wicked inhabitants of Canaan, right? They were all over the place. But again, Egypt was so 
racially biased and had a system of racial separation that Israel could grow over several centuries without um, being assimilated into the Egyptian culture. Listen, God kind of knows what he's doing, right? I mean, I don't know about you. The way I look at it, God's been doing this a whole lot longer than we have. He kind of has an idea of what's going on. God knew if Israel stayed in Canaan and didn't enter into Egypt, that they would have intermarried. Their belief systems would have got all whack. And the fulfillment would not happen. But God knew if they entered Egypt, where they would have had time to incubate over 400 plus years, incubate and grow and, 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 and all this, that then his children, his children would be this mighty nation. You know, this, this growth in the face of affliction is, has consistently been the story of God's people throughout all the ages. The more they're afflicted, the more they grow. Listen, the Jewish people, they are a strong people, and they've been afflicted over and over and over again over for thousands of years, but they're still here. They're still here. If you look at the country of Israel, you got this tiny little country like this, and you have all these Arab countries surrounding them, and they're constantly being attacked. They're constantly being hated on, right? Just recently, there were they're, they're, again, from Gaza, they're shooting rockets into Israel, right? Even hitting parts of Jerusalem. And they're still here. Why? Because they are God's people. It makes no sense for this, this small little country to be a powerhouse amongst these giant Arab countries. It makes zero sense when you look at it with man's eyes. But when you look at it through the lens of God, we can see that God always has them protected. Always, God always has his hands around them, keeping them safe. Verse 14 says, they made their lives bitter with hard bondage because God's purpose was to bless Israel and fulfill his role for them in, 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 in his eternal plan. No amount of affliction could defeat his purposes. Doesn't matter what you're going through, brothers and sisters. Doesn't matter the heartache you're going through. If God has a promise over your life, the word says all of his promises are yes and amen. Doesn't matter how bleak it looks, God's promises will come to pass. I don't care where you're at in your life. I don't care what, what, what's going on with your kids. I don't care what's going on with your marriage. I don't care about none of that stuff because if God has made a promise over your life, I'm telling you, it will come to pass. Nothing, 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 nothing can stop the promises of God. Look back on your life and I, I dare you to give me an example of, of God's promises not coming true. Go ahead. I'll wait. I'm gonna look at I'm gonna look in the chat. Not a one. Not a one. Look at that because God is always faithful. God made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and it was still coming true. It didn't matter how hard it was. The principle of, of Isaiah 54, 17, which would was gonna happen hundreds of years after this, still remains true. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. 
the weapons of Egypt could not prosper in stopping the growth of Israel. The wickedness of the, of the Egyptians could hurt Israel, but it could never defeat Israel because Israel was part of God's plan. Come on, that's powerful right there. The enemy's going to come against us, and it may hurt, and it may downright suck at sometimes, but it cannot defeat you. Why? Because you are a child of the Most High God. And when you can stand on that promise and you're rooted in, in the word, you will not be defeated. He says, if it's a son, you shall kill him. Can you imagine that? Being a midwife and getting that command? If you deliver a son, kill that baby. That makes, that's, that's, that's crazy to me. The king of Egypt commanded them to kill the male babies. to And this was to, to utterly weaken and practically destroy the people uh, of Israel within a generation. Because if there's no more sons, they're not going to grow. Right? And I'm sure also maybe part of his plan was, hey, and then, then we can turn them to be become Egyptians. You know, maybe that'll also destroy their culture, but it's not, but it cannot work. See, we, we, we may see the command of Pharaoh as, as, as consistent with Satan's plan, you know, of, of Jewish hatred through the centuries as an attack against God's Messiah. Because again, the Messiah was going to come through this people and Satan knows this. Satan knows the word. He knows what God commanded. And don't you think this was another tactic of the enemy to try to destroy the children of Israel, to try to, to, to destroy the promise of the Messiah that he knows is going to crush his head? According to Genesis, he knows. So this is just another tactic. But, but the Messiah is still going to come through this. Satan knew the Messiah, the seed of the woman, would crush his head, according to Genesis 3.15, and it would come from these people. Therefore, again, he's going to try to, to try to destroy a whole nation, a whole nation in one generation by trying to take out one. If he could take out one line. But this is powerful. This is powerful, guys. Verse 17, but the midwives feared God. Do you fear God more than any retribution that may come against you? Do you fear God more than, than going up against your boss? Do you fear God? Now, I'm sure the midwives certainly did fear Pharaoh. I mean, the Egyptian nation at this time was the most powerful nation on the known planet, right? Pharaoh, who it was perceived by the Egyptian people, was a god right? And they worshiped him as a god. So for them, he's a deity in the flesh. So the midwives hearing this, you know, there, there's probably a, 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 a bit of fear that they felt, but they feared God more. So for them, the choice was very, very clear. The, the, the government commanded something that was clearly against God's command, and the midwives did the only right thing, they obeyed God rather than man. Brothers and sisters, if you look at what's going on in our country, if you look at the legislation that's trying to be passed, you may have to come to a point where you have to decide where you stand. Do you fear the government? Do you fear our president, 
our governors, our mayors, do you fear them more than you fear God? Because if you do, we got to have a sit down. We're going to have to have a talk because they are not eternal. They are not your creator. I fear God more than I fear anything that's going on around me. I fear God more than I fear the news and what they're, what they're saying, what they're spouting. I fear God more than government overreach. I fear God more than a recession. I fear God more than anything because my eternity is not going to be here. My eternity is going to be in glory with him in heaven with, with Jesus. The midwives, while they did fear Pharaoh, they feared God more. So they, so that they, they acted on the same principle as did the, the persecuted apostles are going to act in, in Acts 4.19 when Peter asks the civil authorities whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. So, so, so while we're, we're, we're generally are called to obey the government, government and, 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 and honor our civic rulers, according to Romans 13, 15, we are never called to put government in the place of God. Therefore, if the government tells us to do something against God's will, we are to obey God first. Period. Point blank. I could end right now. That's it, Doug. Done. Boom. Mic drop. If the government ever tries to overreach and tries to tell us to do things that are go against God's will, we have an obligation to believe God and to follow God over our government. That's not to say, okay, let me back up a second. That's not to say we just act crazy, okay? Because there's, listen, listen, there are plenty of crazy Christians, right? And we have, there, there's a place for us to be a little bit crazy. And I see some of y'all on, on the screen. I know some of y'all a little bit crazy, a little bit off. Yeah, yeah, Doug, which, but we have a moral obligation to obey the Lord above all above all that is so critical because i'm telling you at some point we are going to stand before the throne of god and we're going to have to answer for everything and the government's not going to be there to defend you the president's not going to be there to defend you you have to answer for yourself so the pharaoh he approaches the 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 um the midwives and it's like hey what's going on you know if the hebrew and they, they said because the the hebrew women are not like egyptian women the hebrew women are able to, to, to deliver the babies before we even get there right you know i read that and i take it as a jab personally like listen y'all dainty little egyptian women they can't handle childbirth they need all the help the israelite women they strong they got this you know we don't even got to be there you know um, so, so many, many people assume that the Hebrew midwives lied to the Pharaoh when they said this, but this, again, this, this may not be the case. Uh, the midwives may have told the truth. Perhaps the, the Hebrew women were, you know, hardier than the Egyptian women, you know, a little, a uh, little girthier, I'll, I'll just say, you know, and, and so the midwives did not explain all the reasons why the babies were spared. So, so we aren't told whether or not the midwives are lying or if, 
you know, a quick delivery of Hebrew babies was was a biological fact. Like if the Hebrews just gave birth too quick, we we don't you know we don't fully know. But even if they lied, it is not for their the deceit that they're command that they're they're commended by God, but it's for their refusal to take infant lives. Verse twenty. Therefore, God dealt with the midwives. Even if the midwives deceived Pharaoh, that was not what what God blessed. He blessed their godly bravery in obeying God before men. If you obey God before men, God will bless you. He will bless you. We, we see it right here. The people multiplied and grew mighty. The, the, again, the worse the persecution against God's plan to multiply the children of Israel in Egypt, the more God made sure the plan succeeded. This is a wonderful example of goodness and the power of God. Pharaoh said less and God says more. Pharaoh says stop and God says go. Pharaoh was trying to stop them and to disrupt them from growing. And God was like, nah, that ain't going to happen. Those are my people. See, if the, if the battle was just between Pharaoh and the people of Israel, Pharaoh, um, Pharaoh clearly won. Right? He had them enslaved. All he had to do was play the, the, the long game and keep enslaving them, making it worse and worse. But the real battle included God in the equation. And that changes everything. My brothers and sisters, have you allowed God to be the, in the equation of your life? Have you allowed God to be the equation for the battle that you're facing? Have you allowed God to be your ally? Have you allowed God to fight for you? Because I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if you're going through something and you're trying to fight on your own, you're trying to deal with it on your own, you will fail. But if you allow God to fight for you on your behalf, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, in the name of Jesus, you will have victory. Verse 21, he provided households for them. This was, this was um, God's blessing on the midwives. Because usually mid, mid, midwives, they... they held their occupation because they had no children of their own for one reason or another you know they never got married they couldn't have children but now we see god enables them to have children of their own he provided households for them doesn't say that they asked for children doesn't say they they asked for households but said god provided for them why because god gives us exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think the midwives probably thought i can never i'm never going to be able to have children i'm never going to have a family and you know what that's okay i'm going to serve in this capacity as much as i would love this i'm going to accept it and god bless them god bless them because they were faithful god bless them because they were obedient to his word so seeing that his plan didn't work, Pharaoh made a far more radical command. Every son who is born, you shall cast into the river. All the male children should be killed. The method Pharaoh commanded for the death of the male children of Israel became the divine provision for training of the deliverer of Israel. Because the same river, and we're going to read about it here in the next day or two, the same river that they're throwing the babies in is the same river that Moses is going to be put in a basket and pushed down the same river. Imagine that. The method of, of death is going to be the same method of delivery.
Come on. That is a promise of God. Because while it looks bleak, God is going to use the things that you're going through and use it for a blessing. God is going to use what you're going through, the hell you feel that you may be going through, and blessings going to come from that. And we see a prime example here in Exodus 1. Pharaoh said, kill the babies, throw them into the river. And God said, okay, I'm going to use that same river and send their deliverer to them. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord God, and we thank you, Father, that, that we can we can begin a, a new book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, Father, where it just seems like it's laying a little bit of groundwork, but we can see your hand is continually at work. And if you were at work in the children of Israel thousands of years ago, then, Father, you will be at work in our lives today, Father, because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, Lord. So, Father, I pray that as we go about our day, that we will reflect, Father, what are those things, Father? What are those things that we need to give up to you, Lord God? What are those things that we need to be more obedient to your will, Lord God? So, Father, you would just bring those things to mind, Lord God, so we can be more in line with you, Father, and what you have for us, Father. We praise you, Lord, for what you are doing. And I thank you for each and every my brothers and sisters on this call right now, Lord God. Everyone who's going to listen later on, um, whether on the blog or on the podcast, Father, that you would just bless them, Father. Keep them in God. And we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.